Welcome to Just Thinking with hosts Dara Harrison and Virgil Walker, bringing you week-to-week cultural apologetics as well as social issues from a biblical worldview. This is Just Thinking. Let's think. We're back. It's another edition of the Just Thinking podcast. I am Virgil Walker. And I am Daryl Harrison. What's going on, Omaha, man? College football season has officially kicked off. Man, it's here. It's here. And I'm I'm pumped about it, man. I mean, I, this is the time, of se- the, the time of the year, the season of the year that I look forward to. Fall kind of begins a little bit. You know, we're, we're in that September mode. And so uh, I'm, I'm looking forward to it. How about you? Yeah, you're a little bit of a mixed bag here, right? So we're recording this episode the day before Labor Day. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting that you mentioned uh, fall because, right, college football season, NFL mm-hmm. is going to kick off next week. So, you know, once football kicks off, you know it's fall, right? You right. know fall is right around the corner. Right. But for, for me here, being in California, this will be my first fall in California. And I'm wondering, mm-hmm. man, what is what is fall going to be like yeah. here in California? What is fall yeah. like here? Because one of the things I miss about Georgia is that in Georgia, you get – distinctly all four seasons every yeah, year yeah yeah you know when the seasons have changed so you know that mm-hmm. in, in the fall you have uh because there's so many trees there everything's green mm-hmm. and then in the fall the leaves start changing colors and they start to fall to the ground they fall off the the trees and you know it's fall man you know mm-hmm. it's fall you no question about it and i'm just curious like what does fall look like out here in california so i'm looking forward to that and Good. You know, obviously, this was the, the first weekend college football actually kicked off a couple of days ago. Right, right. My Georgia Tech Jet, uh, Yellow Jackets got. I was, I was, by, uh, I was gonna, me- I was gonna mention it, man. I was gonna leave Listen, it alone, bro, man. I'm, I'm a, I'm a man, man. I can take, I take my, <laughs> I take my wins and my losses. Right, right, right. So, right. So yeah, so Tech, uh, Tech got thumped, which I expected because Tech's sure. a very young team. They're, they're learning sure. a new offense, got a new head coach. Yeah, but there was a lot but, of, uh, there were, it left a lot of question marks, man, for, for, uh, for Trevor. Uh, what's the brother's name? The, the quarterback for Clemson, man. Oh, really? kind of some, yeah, there was some, there was, there was some, uh, some folks saying he, what he, you know, he didn't do as well as he should have, wasn't as strong as he needed to be, mm-hmm. you know, Heisman hopes. And I mean, all, I was like, really? Man, I didn't see the it. game. Yeah, I didn't, so I, they didn't. They didn't show the game out here, and that's just one yeah. of the uh, another thing. You know, I think I got to get used to them showing these regional games out here for for right. college teams that are regional to this area of the country. Right. right. Uh, so I I didn't get to see Tech Clemson. Uh, they showed Cincinnati uh, and somebody uh, mm-hmm. here uh, instead. But yeah, that's just one of the things I got to get used to. You know, yeah. being out here on the West Coast. But you know, thank God for for college football. Thank God for the yep. NFL. I, I think yep. about the verse in scripture where Paul says uh, that God gives us all good things to enjoy. Yes. Yes. You know, and I know not everybody's a sports fan, not everybody's a football fan, but this is one of the times of year that I know you and I definitely look forward to. I look forward. To, I, I better mention Trevor Lawrence for, for Dwayne. Yeah, Cause he's a Clemson yeah. fan. I better make yeah. sure I get it. You know? Yeah. 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 yeah, so, yeah. <laughs> other, otherwise, yeah. man, our sound effects might be a little funky or off know. or, you know, know. post production might, might, might come out a little bit raggedy, you know? Right. <laughs> Instead of the hammer B three, he might throw the right. Aflac duck in there or something. Right. <laughs> Because the way he does right, our right, post production, right. man, we have no control if he tries to get revenge on us or something. Right, right. Yeah, I better be. I better be cool about with that. his tigers. Yeah, I better be cool with that. No doubt. No doubt. Yeah. So other than that, man, uh, looking forward to uh, it's getting close really quickly, man. Looking forward to October, middle of October. 
mm-hmm. where the Grace to You Truth Matters Conference is going to be happening at Grace Community Church yeah. in L.A., October 16th through the 18th. And I mentioned that not necessarily because I work at Grace to You, but mm-hmm. just to remind our listeners that the opening night of the conference, October 16th, 7 p.m. Pacific time, okay, 7 p.m. Pacific time, Wednesday, October 16th, Virgil Walker and yours truly will be doing a live oh, Harrison, stream. Harrison, 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 Harrison. Yeah. <laughs> Got to get the reverb in there, man. Right, right, right. <laughs> Omaha, Omaha, Omaha. Right. We're going to be doing a live stream of the Just Thinking podcast, October 16th, 7 p.m. Pacific time at the Truth Matters conference being mm-hmm. conducted by Grace to You, which is John MacArthur's preaching and ten- teaching ministry. Uh, and that will also be the first time, Lord willing, Lord willing, yeah. of course. Yeah. That will be the first time, Virgil, you and I have ever met face to face. Yeah, man. That's gonna be that's gonna be interesting, man. You you mentioned putting the partition up just so that we don't lose our vibe, our mojo, you know what right. I mean? So I don't know what I don't know what we're gonna have to do, man. That's gonna be kind of weird. It's gonna be strange, man, me looking directly in your face as you're saying different things. Yeah. I, I know. Pe- people listen to our podcast and are like, what do you got? I mean, you guys have just impeccable timing. Like, you know, exactly kind of when he's going to stop and when he, you know, when you're going to say that you guys kind of flow. And I said, well, yeah, I mean, we, we, we have, we, we got it like that. And my thought is, man, hopefully that still, that maintains it's, you know, it's bigger when we get in front of each other. I'm seriously thinking about putting a partition between us (laughs) until after the episode is done. Until after the live stream is done, then we can take the partition down. We can finally meet one another. (laughs) So I'm giving some serious thought to that because, you know, the aesthetics, in, a, in podcasting, aesthetics is very important. Mm. And and that's one of those aesthetics. Uh, you know, we've been doing this for a while. What version now? About what? 17, 18 Gosh, months? Yeah, about 17 and, uh, months. Yeah. yeah. So we definitely have a flow, man. So we don't want to disturb that, man. We we, we got to do whatever we have to do. Right. Doing that live stream, even if it means putting a partition in the right, table right. so you and right. I don't see each other. That's it. Until that's after it. the live stream is over, man. So. <laughs> That's crazy. But I, it's going to be amazing. I look forward to meeting, you know, the folks who are who are fans of the show and uh, man, seeing you and and and, uh, and everything. It's going to be amazing, man. We're going to have a great time. Indeed. Well, well, well. So, well, Omaha, here we are again. Mm. Here we are again. Mm-hmm. And when I mm-hmm. say when I say that, when I say here we are again, I'm not speaking in terms of location mm-hmm. and the reality that you and I are physically behind our respective microphones recording another episode of the Just Thinking Podcast. So when I say here we are again, or perhaps more accurately, here we go again, Mm -hmm. what I'm alluding to is the fact that the topic we're discussing in this episode is one that simply refuses to go away. Yeah. Just refuses to go away. And that topic is social social justice. 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 Right. Right. (laughs) Again, we're talking about social justice Again, Again, before we dive into that topic, something interesting, if not ironic, occurred to me. You know, back in the 60s, I don't remember this, but back in the 1960s, there was a female ventriloquist and puppeteer named Sherry Lewis, S-H-A-R-I Lewis. Her name was Sherry Lewis, and she introduced a hand puppet character named Lamb Chop. Mm -hmm. Okay. This was Sherry Lewis in the 1960s, had a hand puppet character named Lamb Chop. Now, it was named Lamb Chop because the puppet looked like a cute little lamb. It had, uh, you know, the white sock with the oversized uh, uh, black eyelashes and had the Mm -hmm. cutesy little uh, girly voice. 
mm-hmm. so lamb chop yeah so well one of the things lamb chop is famous or infamous for mm-hmm. depending on how you look at it is a little song uh that the character used to sing on uh sherry lewis's uh show called the song that never ends Mm. it was a song that never ends it was that song that came to my mind because i'd seen that video somewhere several years ago but it was that song that came to my mind as i was trying to wrap my mind around the fact that you and i would be doing yet another right episode of the just thinking podcast on social justice and right right it's that topic that social justice topic that seems to never end i mean it's like that Mm. lamb chop song (laughs) <laughs> that went like this. This is the song that never ends. Yes, it goes on and on, my friend. Mm-hmm. Some people started singing it, not knowing what it was. And they'll continue singing it forever just because this is the song that never ends. <laughs> yes, it goes on and on, my friend. Well, that's how, that's exactly how I feel. <laughs> That's exactly how I feel. As we're recording I would have joined you in harmony if I could carry a tune in a bucket, man. But I just I could not help you. I, I was having my feet though. If that counts for anything, man, as you went through that, it's pretty good. Yeah, man, I could keep the time. Now I was I was singing on two and four, right? So as long as I can stay on two and four, not one and three, we're good to go. You're good to go. Gotcha. But yeah, so but that's exactly how it feels. We're recording this episode today. Mm-hmm. Social justice is the topic that never ends. It right. just goes on and on, my friend. Some people started talking about it, not knowing really what it was, mm-hmm. and they'll continue talking about it forever just because that's it's the good. topic that never ends. Right. Right. So it's, it's so so that's how that that jingle just kind of came to my my mind because this social justice topic just will not go away. But mm-hmm. in all seriousness, the reason that that lamb chop song came to mind is because of something Thomas Sowell wrote in his book, The Quest for Cosmic Justice. And I want to mm-hmm. quote Sowell from that book because when you hear, as I read this quote, just keep those lyrics from the song that never ends uh, in your mind. And my apologies to listeners who probably now cannot get that song out of their head <laughs> as, as I listen to this right now. But, but in right. all seriousness, that song brought to mind a quote by Thomas Sowell in his book, The Quest for Cosmic Justice. Quote, Sowell said this, quote, whatever moral principle each of us believes in, we call that justice. So we are only talking in a circle when we say that we advocate justice unless we specify just what conception of justice we have in mind. Mm. This is especially so today when so many advocate what they call social justice, often with great passion, but with no definition, Mm. unquote. That's Thomas Sowell from the quest for cosmic justice. So Sowell says, unless you're able to objectively define what type of justice you have in mind, when you're talking about, quote unquote, social justice, you're merely talking in a circle mm-hmm. like that lamb chop song that never is. But the circle just goes on and on, my friend. So soul is absolutely right. So that's the connection here that I want to make between soul and lamb chop. They're basically saying the same thing in different ways. But the social justices never define what type of justice they're talking about. And the conversation just goes on and on and on, just like soul said in one never ending circle any thoughts on that omaha just first of all that song man like i said i would have tried to harmonize with you man but (laughs) it would not have been a good look man folks would have just turned the whole episode off they'd have been like you know what 
I'm not even gonna do that. So I, so oh. I, I'm, <laughs> I'm actually saving the listeners by not by not harmonizing with you. Oh my gosh! First of all, let me let me just say I, I love me some Thomas Sowell, and uh, we've talked about him in the past and uh, on other shows, and it, it's a great work that I encourage others to kind of take time and 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 listen to. With that said, as we we begin our conversation, Sowell makes a great point, which is apart from an objective standard, what we call justice is then just left to our own devices, right? Mm -hmm. Justice, which should be established on the basis of an objective standard, Mm -hmm. simply becomes our own subjective, moral, relativistic standard of determining what we believe to be just. And then sadly, social justicians, they seem to wake up every day. And I know you I know you recognize this. They seem to wake up every day with a new set of standards that are an ever moving target for what's right or wrong, for what's Mm -hmm. good or bad, for what's moral or immoral. And, and what seemed perfectly normal in the past, like the past 50 to 100 years, they've now determined to be flagrantly racist or immoral. And it, I mean, it, it's just something new by which they they desire to be be outraged as mm-hmm. if we've never you know, we, we, we need to see this brand new problem, though, we've, we've though it's been normative for the past 50 to 100 years. Yeah, you know, uh, in listening to your comments there, Omaha, I was uh, reminded that was a couple years ago. Matter of fact, it was September of 2017 that I wrote an article for my blog at justthinking.me entitled Seeking a Social Savior. Mm. That was a couple years ago. And in that article, I made the following assertion. I said in that article that a problem many evangelical social justice advocates today have is that in their zeal to pursue social justice in the name of Christ, they too often confuse Christians with Christ, Mm. which is something that should never happen. Mm -hmm. That should never happen. Let me repeat that. A problem many evangelical social justice advocates today have is that in their zeal to pursue social justice in the name of Christ, they too often confuse Christians with Christ, which is something that should never happen. Now, to add context to that statement, in the very next sentence in the article, I quote from a 2012 article written by professor and church historian Thomas S. Kidd, K-I-D-D. And that article was entitled Slavery, Historical Heroes, and the Precious Puritans. Now, in that article, Kidd very wisely and astutely, I believe, said this, quote, the Christian faith has only one perfect hero. He is our proper object, not just of emulation, but of worship. Mm-hmm. We all fall far, far short of his example. That's unquote. good. That's good. Now, of course, the one perfect hero of whom Thomas Kidd is speaking is none other than Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. Now, the reason I'm bringing up both the comment I made in the blog article I wrote, as well as the quote by Dr. Kidd, is that as we broach yet again the subject of social justice, it bears noting that many evangelical social justicians today not only have confused Christians with Christ and that they expect Christians to be perfect only as Jesus was, mm-hmm. which is what I mean by saying they have confused Christians with Christ. Mm-hmm. But they have also confused his unre- this unredeemed world with the redeemed world that Scripture clearly teaches is yet to come. Mm-hmm. Okay, I want to repeat that because I don't want anyone to misunderstand or yeah, misconstrue mm-hmm. what I meant when I said in that blog article that many social justicians today confuse Christians with Christ. Okay, and what I mean by that is that. Evangelical social justicians today not only have confused Christians with Christ and that they expect Christians to be perfect as only Jesus was, Mm. 
But they've also confused this unredeemed world with the redeemed world that Scripture clearly teaches us is yet to come. And that's so okay? good. That's good. Now, in 2 Peter 3.13, listen to this, uh, everyone. Now, 2 Peter 3.13, the Apostle Peter writes this. But according to his promise, we, that is the church, that is believers, but according to his promise, that is God's promise, we are looking for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Mm. That's 2 Peter 3.13. Isaiah 65.21. This is God speaking about himself. For behold, I create new heavens and a new earth, and the former things will not be remembered or come to mind. Yeah. Now, as usual, I'm quoting from the non-Armenian standard <laughs> Bible translation. That was Second Peter three thirteen and Isaiah sixty five twenty one. Now, these passages in Second Peter three and Isaiah sixty five are germane to our conversation today, Omaha, because the fundamental fallacy of the social justice argument, particularly within evangelicalism, is that this new heaven and new earth which scripture clearly teaches is an eschatological or end times reality mm-hmm. can be brought into fruition in the here and now. Okay. So we've got social justices within evangelicalism who are arguing that that eschatological reality can be brought to fruition in the here and now. If only the church would embrace what many evangelical social justices believe to be a mandate that is equal to that of heralding to a world that is perishing the message of forgiveness of sins and salvation in Jesus Christ, namely meeting people's felt needs. Right. Okay. Right, right. But that's the mandate is the mandate is to meet people's felt needs right. as opposed to preaching to the world, the message of forgiveness of sins and salvation in Christ. Mm-hmm. Now, a recent example of that kind of theological theology is a video that came to our attention earlier last week, Mm-hmm. in which a social and political activist by the name of Reverend William J. Barber II, William J. Barber II, who among other roles is president and senior lecturer at an organization called Repairers of the Breach. Man. Repairers of the Breach. And he also serves, Barber does, also serves as visiting professor at Union Theological Seminary in New York. He's In, in this video, he's speaking at a political event sponsored by the Democratic Party. Mm-hmm. Now we're going to include a link to that video in the episode notes uh, for this uh, for this subject that we're talking about. But at the start of the video is the following message, and I'm repeating this because we need to, as we always do on the Just Thinking podcast, we want to establish context. Okay, mm-hmm. so this this what I'm about to read is from the video that's posted on the website of the organization Repairers of the Breach. Quote: mm-hmm. August twenty third, twenty nineteen. The executive committee of the Democrat National of the Democratic National Convention accepts a request from the Poor People's Campaign, a national call for moral revival to make the case for a national debate on systemic racism, poverty, ecological devastation and the war economy, unquote. Okay, (laughs) so that's from the video published by Repairers of the Breach on their own website now. I read that statement so as to give our listeners some much-needed context as to the kind of event this was at which Reverend Barber was was speaking. It was an event which, according to the video posted on the website of Reverend Barber's Repairs of the Breach organization, included at the invitation of that organization, 
members of the Democratic National Commit, uh, Committee. Now, in the video, Reverend Barber is arguing for what he describes as, quote, an interlocking focus, unquote, in order to build a, quote, unquote, moral movement, okay, mm-hmm. to rid society of the aforementioned ills, systemic racism, poverty, ecological devastation, and the war economy. Now, I'm going to come back later to that term moral movement that Barbara used, as I think it warrants further discussion. Mm-hmm. But in the meantime, over the course of his speech, Barbara cites and refers to the Bible on numerous occasions. He does this in order to buttress his argument that not only the church, but America as a nation is obligated to operate in society on the basis of what, in my personal opinion, can only be described as a kind of theonomistic socio-political worldview, mm-hmm. one in which the law of God shapes and directs government policy. So uh, I realize that that word theonomistic may seem like a really big word, but the word comes from the root word theonomy, uh, the Greek word being theos, meaning God, and nomos, meaning law. So that's where the word theonomy comes mm-hmm. from, theos mm-hmm. and nomos, which refers to a form of government in which society is ruled by God's divine law. Okay, so but so in my opinion, what what Barbara is proffering here is a sort of theonomistic sociopolitical worldview. But it seems to me that Barbara is rather inconsistent with regard to how God's law, which is inherently objective, should right. be applied in society. Right. Okay. On the one hand, Barbara leverages the scriptures in terms of how a nation like America should treat the poor, while on the other hand, he totally disregards the principle of the Imago Dei while supporting a woman's right to choose to murder her unborn child. Mm-hmm. But that Barbara's pro-abortion is no surprise to me, mm-hmm. as the vast majority of liberal black Christians are pro-abortion as well. But what I find incredibly ironic is that Barbara, in making a case for a woman's right to choose as a social justice issue, is making that case in front of a group of individuals whose political platform openly endorses the murder of unborn children who are created in the image of the same God in whom Reverend Barber professes to believe. Mm-hmm. But, you know, then again, when it, when it's a black minister addressing a predominantly black audience, mm-hmm. especially an audience comprised of liberal black Democrats, pretty much anything goes, yeah. including hypocrisy, yeah. including hypocrisy. But, you know, I digress. <laughs> But I really Man, want to bring. Go, go ahead, go, Omar. Go ahead. No, I, I, I was just going. There's so much that you that you power packed in there. I, I don't want to interrupt your thought. If you got something to to uh, to continue, I mean, you go for it. Now go for it, bro. You're good. I, I just I, I'm just blown away by a number of things. One, when you said a repairs of the breach and how that that whole nomenclature is just ripped out of its proper context to mean something totally different. And then Union Theological Seminary. I mean, the 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 folks that come out of there and what that that you know what that space and place represents is just i mean it's just it, it we shouldn't be surprised that that's where that's where barbara comes from at all right. but you you mentioned the term theonomy and and i'm glad you explained it uh theos is god nomos as as the law and 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 i i completely understand even in in christian circles what uh people mean when they say hey i'm a theonomist but for the most part and you and you pointed this out for the most part what they do mean is 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 they want to establish God's objective law. Mm-hmm. But when we're talking about Barbara, that's not at all 
right. what he's doing. I mean, it's right. totally outside of the context right. of, of, of theonomy, right? He's offering an entirely different hermeneutic absolutely. from what you're talking about. Totally absolutely. different. Absolutely. I had to ask myself as I listened to Reverend Barber, uh, listen to him speak, what what God is he worshiping that supports the murder of the unborn? Mm-hmm. You know, what yeah. when 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 we appeal to subjective standards, we have to recognize that the God that's in view is the one that, that's in the mirror. Right. And of course, we, we are no gods at all. But but what that that's Barber's appeal. His appeal mm-hmm. is that those who are broken or hurting are really their own gods able to determine what right and wrong is. And, and, and again, the, the standard begins to be incredibly subjective. Now, people like Barbara have rejected the true God of the Bible and have placed themselves in that space for the purpose of their own personal cause and movement. Well, I'll tell you, this is one of those moments, not unusual, because we usually have at least two or three of these moments when we, re- mm-hmm. when we get behind the mic. Well, I wish I controlled the Hammond B3, bro. <laughs> because when you said, and you're absolutely right, that the God is that's that's in view is the person standing in front of the mirror. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's the God they have in mind. Yeah. You're absolutely right, Omaha. Thanks for saying that, man. We And we need to be bold and courageous to be able to say that mm-hmm. about our professing brothers in Christ. Now, what I want to bring to the attention of our listeners, though, in this episode is something Reverend Barber said mm. as he was addressing the audience at his at this Repairers of the Breach event. Mm-hmm. Now, in, in arguing that the Bible supports the goals and objectives of his Poor, people cam- poor People's Campaign, and again, those, uh, those were issues like uh, ra- systemic racism, mm-hmm. poverty, uh, ecological devastation, and what he called the war economy, okay? In arguing that the Bible supports those goals and objectives that he outlined, Barbara said this in the video, and I am quoting verbatim, Reverend William J. Barber II, quote, if someone calls it socialism, then we must compel them to acknowledge that the Bible also promotes socialism because Jesus offered free health care to everyone and never charged a leper a copay, unquote. I'm going to re- read that a second time because I'm sure somebody's driving around right now and they're about to drive their car right off the ledge <laughs> right. after hearing that. But right. Reverend Barber actually said that. I'm going to quote him again. Quote, if someone calls it socialism, then we must compel them to acknowledge that the Bible also promotes socialism because Jesus offered free health care to everyone and never charged a leper a copay. Mm-hmm. Now, that is a direct word for word quote from the Reverend William J. Barber II. Now, with apologies to Kanye West, who (laughs) in 2009 infamously interrupted Taylor Swift during the MTV Video Music Awards, I'm going to let you comment on this, Omaha, but first there's something (laughs) I got to (laughs) say. I'm going to let you finish, bro. I'm going to let you finish, bro, but I got something I got to say. I got something I got to say. (laughs) <laughs> you know, notwithstanding the hermeneutical gymnastics being engaged in here by Reverend Barber, mm. what's even more upsetting to me personally is that his comments provide yet another example of the kind of step and fetch it performance type homiletics wow. that black preachers often resort to in order to get a rise out of their audience or congregation. Which where's the can... where's the Hammond B? Wait a minute, oh, bro. Wait a minute. You got to go back. You... 
<laughs> you you got to start that over. I will what? gladly repeat this. I will have no qualms about repeating this. Wow. Notwithstanding okay. the hermeneutical gymnastics yes, sir. being engaged in by Reverend Barber, what's even more upsetting to me personally mm-hmm. is that his comments provide yet another example of the kind of step and fetch it performance type of homiletics that black preachers often resort to in order to get a rise out of their audience or congregation, which, mm-hmm. as you can hear in the video, is exactly what happened after Reverend Barber said what he did right. about Jesus not uh, charging a leper a copay. Mm-hmm. Now, Barber even has the temerity to pause in the midst of his comment so he can relish in the naive applause he is receiving in response to his absurd and self-aggrandizing proclamation mm-hmm. that Jesus offered health, free health care to everyone and he never charged a leper a copay. That's wow. step and fetch it performance homiletics right absolutely. there. Absolutely. Comments absolutely. Omaha. Man, first of all, uh, wow. <laughs> Man, you had to go started. there. Yeah, get you... <laughs> Don't get me started, bro. Get you started. Man, I had three three main thoughts about this. The quote bothered me on a number of levels. And, and I'm going to start with the last thing that you mentioned. And it was the, the pause for applause by the naive in response to his absurd claim. Now, you you and I come from that black church background, right? Yep. We, we know we know the power we know of up. A, right. Yep, we know what's up. We know the power of a well-delivered, well-timed sermon. And we we both know, sadly. That a strong that a that a sermon rather strong on homiletics will often cause the average parishioner to ignore a proper hermeneutic. Mm-hmm. We've seen it too many times in black churches where the pastor is more performer delivering a poem than a pastor with a prophetic voice calling for repentance. I, Wait I, a I, minute! Oh, she's a mascot, <laughs> bro. She's a mascot, bro. Omaha, I won't need you to go back, dude, bro. That was so nice. I'm asking you to say it twice. That's it, man. Too many times we've seen it in black churches where the pastor is more performer delivering a poem than a pastor with a prophetic voice calling men to repentance. I mean, that's yeah. that's just the truth. That's so right? true, man. That's so true. And for our listeners yeah. who don't come from that sort of uh, black church, that black ecclesiastical culture, you may not know this, but Virgil is absolutely right. He is mm-hmm. dead on the money. Go ahead, Virgil. I realized that Reverend Barber wasn't speaking at a black church. However, like Pavlov's dog, he delivered in perfect time and meter call and response, that which was necessary not only to put black folks, but his whole audience back into the bondage of mental slavery as he spoke to their emotion rather than to their intellect. Wait right? a minute. To the mascot. <laughs> See, bro, listen, let me just say this. I want to give, I just got to say this again, especially for our new listeners. Mm-hmm. When Virgil and I get behind the mic and he hits record, none of this is choreographed. Right, right, none of, right. None of this right. is choreographed. So when I when I think Virgil makes a salient point or vice versa, right. You hear us say, "Cue up the mask on yeah, and hit yeah, the hammer." Yeah. B three. Yeah, yeah, that that hit me. None, that hit that's me for not real. choreographed right there. No, no, no. that I, hit me. For I had real. no idea he was going to say that just now. Yeah. But you <laughs> nailed it, bro. Would you mind if I ask you, please repeat that? That's it, like Pavlov's dog, right? Uh, Barber delivered in in perfect 
time and meter call and response that which was necessary to put black folks and, and not only black folks rather but those in his audience back into the bondage of mental slavery mm-hmm. wow. as he spoke to their emotion rather than to their intellect wow that's, you know that's, that's, you, you know they googling pavlov's dog now <laughs> That's that's the first thing. The second thing is this, man. I am beyond tired of seeing the disadvantaged poor lap up this vomitous hatred like a dog returning to its own vomit. Mm-hmm. What, what, what these so-called reverence pimping poverty are doing will only create more greed rather than grace, create more hatred rather than holiness for all of those that they engage. And the number of things that this poverty pimp posited, apart from any any examination of the facts, was absolutely breathtaking. He, he, he threw unexamined numbers and hypothetical solutions as if they were salvific to create this utopian paradise that only he could envision. And, and if you or I were to ask any questions or ask or, or pause for self-reflection regarding the conditions that created the poverty to begin with, we, we would we'd be told that we were just simply being racist and bigoted, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Third thing and the last thing, and, and this is really for me what was most important, to assert that the Bible promotes socialism was beyond the pale, right? Socialism violates at least four of the Ten Commandments. It, it exchanges God, government for it, it exchanges God for government and mm-hmm. and violates both the first and second commandments. Mm-hmm. And then socialism is is theft. It violates the eighth commandment, which says, "Thou shalt not steal." Finally, socialism violates the tenth commandment: not to covet thy neighbor's house, wife, animals. Or anything else. And I, as I looked at this man, I, I thought, how dare this so called preacher use the Bible to advocate an economic system responsible for more poverty around the world than any other? He should be ashamed of himself, and those listening to him should rid him of his clerical vestments. Now, those are my thoughts. Wow. You know, that last <laughs> point is never going to happen. Right, right. No, no, no. Right, 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 right. Because, right. yeah, once you listen, once your leader is black, you never go back. Right. <laughs> right, right. I, I love your points about socialism violating at least four of the Ten Commandments. Mm-hmm. I would throw a fifth one in there, or, or maybe maybe you have this one in it already, that you shall not lie. There you have it. Because socialism is intrinsically a lie. Mm-hmm. It's a lie. But I'll get back to that later. Yeah. Great points, Omaha. I love the points, man. Everything that you said, the, the big three, mm-hmm. and then under point three, where you specifically made a case that socialism as a worldview, as a philosophy, violates at least four, mm-hmm. probably more, at least probably four right. of the Ten Commandments. You know, right. when you watch the video, when you watch Reverend Barber's video in its entirety, and we don't have time to, dis- to dissect it in its entirety, uh, but it's just over 38 minutes in length. Uh, when you watch the video in its entirety and you listen closely to every word that's being uttered by Reverend Barber, it doesn't take long to realize that what he is advocating is not the gospel at all. Mm. What Barber is championing is a radical societal worldview that is more reflective of the principles of Marxism than the precepts of the biblical gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, what makes evangelical social justices like Barber so dangerous and Barber is one of the more radical social justicians out there right now. Mm-hmm. What makes him so dangerous is that what he's proposing is not merely an agenda that would rid society of racism and poverty and such, 
which if he were as well versed in the scriptures as he presents himself to be, he would realize what an unbiblical notion that is. Okay. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But if he was as well versed on the scriptures as he presents himself to be, he would realize that this sort of what, what, what Barbara's, what he's proposing is not merely the latest sort of kumbaya approach to bring people together right. to address society's ills. Mm -hmm. But what he's proposing here is an entirely new soteriology. Mm -hmm. He is proposing an entirely new doctrine of salvation by which society can be saved. Right, right. Now, in other words, what Barbara believes is that social justice is salvation. Mm -hmm. not merely a byproduct of salvation. Mm -hmm. Okay. I'm going to repeat that. And when you watch the video, you will realize this for yourself. Yeah. Barber is proffering a new soteriology that social justice is salvation, not a byproduct of salvation. Now, what we have here, Omaha, and what I want to say here is that you just can't stand up in front of a bunch of people like Barbara did. You just can't stand up in front of a bunch of people and bloviate at the top of your lungs that the Bible says this, or the Bible says that as your basis for arguing for what the church and or the government should be doing concerning the poor and oppressed in a society. Right. What makes the Bible authoritative on matters of justice and injustice is Jesus Christ okay. oh. and him crucified. Okay. And there was no mention whatsoever of that in Barbara's speech. Right. None. What you got on Maha before I get yeah. started over here? Man? And I mean, in fact, he 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 even made the 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 quote unquote oppressed Jesus. I mean, he he in that speech, if you go back and watch it, he actually said that, you know, that that, that we are the we are the cornerstone that the builders rejected. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. We we yeah. like we these the, the oppressed people were, were those were the cornerstone that the builders rejected, that he made himself and those who were, quote unquote, oppressed Jesus. Yeah. And, and see, that's putting replacement theology on another level. That's a whole nother level. That's yeah. a whole nother version of replacement <laughs> theology that he just introduced. Right. That's a great point, Omar. Yeah. Yeah. Well, listen, here's what I've got. Men like Barber are, are, are and what they're representing is absolute evil. Uh, more than just someone pimping poverty, more than a mere social justician. Reverend Barber is presenting a different gospel. And that's why I call what he's doing evil. Barber's soteri soteriology is steeped in his own subjective societal change. Question the means or the methods or the message by which he proposes change and you're the racist. And that's, that's evil. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Barber spends his time addressing poverty in America as inhumane. And he demands that all people have a, have a quote, right, right. And quote, to live in a, in a, in a, to live differently in the wealthiest nation in the world. My question is how, how is he defining poverty? Uh, right. Like our like our friends at, at the founders say, uh, they're known for saying, "By what standard?" Right? Mm -hmm. Yep. While while people like Barbara want to claim that that it's it's racist policies that are the cause for the vast majority of poverty in America, I'd argue that there's no other place in the world that anyone marching with Barbara would rather be that would ra would rather be poor than in America. What well, it means? To be, whoa, right? whoa, 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 whoa! Hold up. <laughs> Cue the mascot. <laughs> 
<laughs> I mean, that's, mascot. That's, that's the truth. I mean, they're, they're arguing truth, about how, how, how racist things are, how horrible mm-hmm. things are, and, and, and all that. Well, there's no other place they'd rather be poor than, than in America. What it means to be poor in America is the status of tremendous wealth by any other standard in any other country around the world. So Barber's soteriological position, sadly, don't even stand the weight of scrutiny outside of the borders of the country that he calls wicked and racist. Mm-hmm. This, this point is easily proven by the hundreds of thousands of people every year risking their lives to enter our country illegally. Mm-hmm. And so Barber's, Barber's gospel of government, quote, doing something, it, it's insufficient to save. I mean, Paul is Paul's addressed a different gospel. I, won't, I mean, you know, Galatians chapter one, verse eight, where he says, if we are an angel from heaven, come preaching you a, a gospel contrary to the one we preach, let him be accursed. I mean, mm-hmm. this is where we are with this different gospel that's being offered by by Reverend Barber. I totally agree, brother. I totally agree with you. You know, I mentioned earlier that a fundamental fallacy of the evangelical social justice movement, of which Reverend Barber is a part and a big Mm -hmm. part, Mm -hmm. is their eschatological view that the new heaven and new earth of which scripture speaks can be made a reality by humanity in the here and now. That's good. That is exactly what Barbara and others who subscribe to his paradigm of social justice believe that mm-hmm. you can bring this new heaven and new earth, what they would call this kingdom reality into fruition in the here and now that we can do that, that humanity right. can do that. We don't right, need God right. to do that. We can do that. Mm-hmm. We can do that for God is what is what they believe. Mm-hmm. But, but this eschatological worldview is also what James Cone, who's known as the father of black liberation theology, referred to as quote-unquote, recreative discipleship, okay? Mm-hmm. So that eschatological worldview that Barbara is espousing is what Cone referred to as creative discipleship. Cone wrote this in his book, Black Theology and Black Power. Cone said this, quote, with a Black perspective, eschatologically, I'm sorry, let me start over. With mm-hmm. a Black perspective, eschatology comes to mean joining the world and making it what it ought to be. Wow. See, that's what I mean. When wow. people like Barber, Barber shares the same worldview as Cone, is mm-hmm. that Barber believes when he talks about social justice, this is what he means. It is an eschatological paradigm through which he sees the world. Mm-hmm. That through these uh, social justice efforts that I mentioned earlier at the top of the uh, program, mm-hmm. things like uh, systemic racism, poverty, uh, ecological devastation and the war economy all that's part of his his visage of bringing into fruition the kingdom of god in the here and now right Mm now Mm -hmm. okay so again i'm quoting james cone from his book black theology and black power with a black perspective eschatology comes to mean joining the world and making it what it ought to be see that's what barbara calls his moral movement Mm -hmm. continuing with cone It means that the Christian man looks to the future not for a reward or possible punishment of evildoers, but as a means of making him dissatisfied with the present. Mm. Okay. Uh, And and Omaha, let me just pause right here and say, it looks like I'm going to have to parse this sentence by sentence because you have to listen to what Cone is saying and then hold it up against what Barbara is saying. This is an eschatological worldview that Barbara is proffering. Mm-hmm. And when you listen to James Cone, when he says things like it means that the Christian man looks to the future, okay, that phrase the future is eschatological. 
Mm-hmm. He's talking about ultimately a uh, an eschatological reality, an end times reality, mm-hmm. whereby through the lens of black liberation theology, you see the the sort of uh, uh, revelatory uh, uh, reality of of the new heaven and the new earth mm-hmm. coming into fruition right now. Right, we can right, do this right. Now, right. Okay. So Kong says it means that the Christian man looks to the future, not for a reward or possible punishment of evildoers, but as a means of making him dissatisfied with the present. Mm-hmm. Kong says his only purpose for looking to a distant past or an unrealized future is that both disclose the ungodliness of the present. Mm-hmm. Looking to the future. See, that's, that's the eschatological phraseology again. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Looking to the future, Cone says, he sees that present injustice cannot be tolerated. Now, let me pause right here. There is mm-hmm. no one within the church tolerating injustice. Okay? Right. Nobody's doing that. All right? So, but mm-hmm. when you hear people like Barbara speak and others, you would think, yeah, the church, and when we when I when, when people like Barbara say the church or evangelicals, what he's referring to is really white evangelicals. Right, right. But I want to make it clear. Right. Nobody, <laughs> right, nobody, right. nobody is tolerating injustice, okay? But when Cone says, look into the future, he sees that is the Christian man. Look into the future, the Christian man sees that the present injustice cannot be tolerated. Black theology asserts an eschatology that confronts a world of racism with black power. I'm wow. still reading Cone here. I'm right, still reading right. Cone. Eschatology does not mean merely salvation of the soul, individual rescue from the evil world, comfort for the troubled conscience, but also the realization of the eschatological hope of justice, the humanizing of man, the socializing of humanity, and peace for all creation, unquote. Wow, wow, wow. So in that last sentence, you have, in the words of James Cone, mm-hmm. the eschatological worldview mm-hmm. of William Barber. Mm-hmm. When Cone says that eschatology does not mean merely salvation of the soul, individual rescue from the evil world, comfort for the troubled conscience, all of which is promised to us in Scripture, especially in Revelation, in the book of Revelation. Mm-hmm. But Cone says eschatology also means the realization of the eschatological hope of justice. Now, let me pause there. We just I just read earlier, I quoted 2 Peter 3.13, which says that for the church, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new mm-hmm. earth where mm-hmm. righteousness dwells. That's right. what Peter said. Right. Righteous, God's righteousness will dwell forever in the new heaven and the new earth. Okay. But Cone is saying here that black liberation eschatology means the realization of the eschatological hope of justice, the humanizing of man, and listen to this, the socializing of humanity and peace for all creation. That is what that is the lie that social justice promises. Mm-hmm. The lie that social justice, this is why social justice uh, is, is, uh, is also a violation of the commandment, thou shalt not lie. Right. So there's a fifth, there's <laughs> yeah. a fifth commandment that's yeah. violated. Yep. So that's half the commandments already, okay? Mm-hmm. The lie of social justice, and, and guys, for the past five minutes, this isn't even in my notes, so you're getting this for free. <laughs> this is extra. <laughs> the, the, the lie of social justice is the lie that James Cone and William Barber propagate, that, the, that social justice can bring about 
the, the, the humanizing of man, he says, the socializing of humanity and peace for all creation. Wow. That's the lie. That's right. the lie of social justice. Mm-hmm. And again, Reverend Barber holds to the exact same eschatology as James Cone, and right. that he believes that humanity can save itself from itself and that in and of itself can bring to fruition the heavenly kingdom of God on earth by virtue of human efforts, mm-hmm. particularly as it relates to the church partnering with the state. That's insane. Now, this kind of paternalistic partnership between the church and the state is a fundamental reason why the social gospel, and I put that in air quotes, the, the quote-unquote social gospel is not the biblical gospel. Mm-hmm. Because contrary to what is taught in Scripture, the social gospel promotes the unbiblical idea that humanity has the inherent capacity, Come ability, and desire to accomplish within society what only God, by his Holy Spirit, Amen. can in the human heart. Amen. See, this is what Cone was saying. This is the mm-hmm. lie of James Cone. Mm-hmm. Cone is saying that liberation theology, social justice, they're pretty much all one and the same as far as I'm concerned, mm-hmm. that, that doing those things can bring about the humanizing of man, the socializing of humanity, and peace for all creation. Mm-hmm. Only God can do that. Right. And only God will do that. Right. Okay. You know, evangelical social justices like Reverend Barber would do well to consider what Arthur Ronald H. Nash wrote in his book entitled Social Justice and the Christian Church. Listen close, Reverend Barber. Quote, the liberal's obsession with the proper distribution of society's goods binds him to a crucial truth that before society can have enough to distribute among the needy, a sufficient quantity of goods must be produced. By focusing all their attention on what, on who gets what, Okay, by focusing all their attention on who gets what, defenders of the welfare state promote policies that severely restrict production. Mm -hmm. Advocates of the welfare state paint a picture of an unending flow of cash from the producers in society to the non producers. Mm -hmm. But as the sphere of benefits for the non productive segment of society continues to increase, the mass of marginal producers realizes that the gap between them and welfare recipients is shrinking. Right. Inevitably, they begin to lose their incentive incentive to continue as producers and as taxpayers. Mm -hmm. Okay. So they give up and they join the ever growing army drawing welfare benefits paid for by the diminishing group of producers. That's what I call an economic black hole. Mm-hmm. So when once the producers realize what's happening, they give up and then they start becoming non-producers. Mm-hmm. So eventually you're going to run out of producers. Right. And when you run out of producers, you run out of taxpayers. And right. when you run out of taxpayers, you run the government run, runs out of money. And when you run out of money, there are no more welfare benefits. Oh. That's a black hole. So you suck in yourself. You yep. you you ultimately end up sucking yourself into your own black hole. So Nash concludes with this liberal social policies that continue to drain a society's productive capacities hold ominous implications for the welfare of future generations. Unquote. That was Ronald H. Nash from social justice and the Christian church. Omaha, I'm going to throw it over to you in just a second, but I just want to reiterate something Nash said here. Mm -hmm. 
He said advocates of the welfare state, and that would be Ronald, people like William J. Barber. Advocates of the well advocates of the welfare state paint a picture of an unending flow of cash right. from the producers in society to the non-producers. I want everyone listening to take hold of that statement because that's exactly what social justicians believe. Mm-hmm. This is what they believe when it comes to re- the redistrib- redistribution of wealth. They think it is an unending flow of cash that's available. What you got, Omaha? Man, there was a lot there. And, you know, I'm glad that these episodes are recorded so that people can go back through, listen, take note, and really dissect kind of what you what you shared. Now, the quote from James Cone explains perfectly the current day gospel of grievance, which is the consistent theme of the social justician. Mm-hmm. It seems that every day there's a new grievance, something new yep. for which to be outraged. And interestingly enough, if there isn't anything today to be upset about, the social justician will look into the past for something, anything by which they can celebrate a new grievance. Yep. So so their, eschat- their, their eschatological view uh, does, doesn't even include a future hope, mm-hmm. right? But rather, but rather a future pain that will be suffered today apart from some action on their part to change society. Wow. Mm-hmm. Now, now, Cone asserts that the action that was necessary to confront the world was black power, end quote. That's insane to me. Mm-hmm. But, 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 but Barber you know, dressed it up a little bit and used a moral movement. Both of mm-hmm. these ideas remind me of the kind of language that can be found in works like Adolf Hitler's Mein Kampf, right? Bro. This, this, <laughs> this, is, this, is, I mean, this is the reality. This is where we are. With regard to these men's writings and their rhetoric, Hitler, Hitler's famous work, Mein Kampf or My Struggle, it's in two parts. It's two volumes. Mm -hmm. Hitler's first volume began with the similar racist rhetoric found in works like James Cone, like what we what what you just walked us through and read. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And the second volume of Hitler's work would lay out the moral movement, if you will, of the of Nazism. And similarly, like Reverend Barber, it calls for nationalistic, socialistic government as the movement to cure society's ills this Mm. is my sec my second thought it's that these men are blind guides and most of them have made their money on the gospel of grievance either through support in a in a pulpit somewhere or at schools of so-called higher education where they can promote their radicalism in front of whites while acting as if they're revolutionaries and I've been been studying based upon what you and I are kind of getting prepared for as we as we uh, we jump into the Truth Matters conference. I've been reading a lot of James Cone lately, and I've been blown away by how many Ivy League universities around the country filled with white audiences sat for his racist abuse, mm-hmm. all the while smiling as they applaud his so-called revolutionary ideas. Mm-hmm. So I, I'm, I'm reading his work, but I'm also listening to what he says and how he says it. The, the the same white power structure that Cone believed to be oppressive. I mean, this was the same. These were the same ones who were paying him to give talks around the country. And so the hypocrisy of his positions should have been self-evident. Mm-hmm. Had, had the culture at the time been as dire as he tried to paint them, he would have been silenced and killed rather than applauded and celebrated. Right. Yep. I, I'm not I'm not ignoring the, the, the fact that 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 there's been racism or racist acts in, in America. I'm simply saying that the same America that engaged in slavery also abolished it. Furthermore, they gave platform to men like Cone and others who profited from the grievance they continued to peddle in the name of Christianity. Man, uh, wow. 
That's some good insight, Omar. Matter of fact, that's right? some fantastic. That's some fantastic insight. And I think probably most of the hate mail that we're going to get for this mm-hmm. episode, mm-hmm. you know, is coming. It's probably going to be coming in response to what you just said. <laughs> because you're going to get the Conites, right, that are going to come out on right. social media after they listen to this episode. And you're going to get blasted, bro. Right. You're going to get absolutely blasted for what you said because although this although this episode is recorded right and you can the listener can rewind and rewind mm-hmm. as many times as they want they can take notes write our comments down verbatim mm-hmm. people are still gonna miss the context of what you said right. in bringing up hitler's mind count right they're gonna that's gonna totally go over their head mm. so just get ready for that that's all i'm saying gotcha but your points were absolutely brilliant and true mm-hmm. more, so, more than brilliant they're true they're right right but people are gonna miss that so I'm just putting the word out there in advance, bro. Get ready for some heat. Get ready to take <laughs> some heat for what you just said. Although wow. you were absolutely correct, you yeah. know. Yeah. It is uh it's frustrating to me that it must be continually said. It must continually be said that the genesis of all injustice and unrighteousness in the world is sin. Mm. The solution to which is not more laws or more government austerity, but that people would come to faith in Jesus Christ Amen. and live lives of obedience to him. Mm-hmm. It's frustrating that we have to keep coming back to that. Mm-hmm. I mean, what, something I want to ask Reverend Barbara is this. Why in the world, Reverend, Reverend Barbara, why in the world would you or any other professing Christian expect a society that doesn't know God to conduct itself as if it does know him. That's good. This goes back to my point earlier. Here, here, here this man is quoting the Bible, quoting it out of context, of course. Mm-hmm. But he's quoting the Bible as if the society that needs to be fixed knows God, that, that they're mm-hmm. going to abide by what the Bible says. Why would he expect a society that doesn't know God to conduct itself as if it does know him? Right, right, right. You know, in the video we've been alluding to, Reverend Barber declares repeatedly that America is in need of what, what he calls a moral movement, a mm-hmm. moral movement to address issues like poverty, racism, and injustice. And as I said, he leverages the Bible as the authority on which that moral movement should be organized and carried out. Mm-hmm. But there is something inherently problematic with positing scripture as merely a moral authority. Yeah. I want to repeat that. There is something inherently problematic with positing scripture as being merely a moral authority. Mm-hmm. John MacArthur, uh, in his book, Christ's Call to Reform the Church, John MacArthur deals with that kind of moralistic soteriology mm-hmm. where he says this, quote, People can change their lives, okay? People can change their lives. They can have a moment of crisis and decide they're going to turn away from immorality or addiction and start living a better life. People can, to some degree, MacArthur says, clean up their act simply by applying extraordinary human effort and resolve. If enough of them do it, there can be a slight moral upgrade in human society. But behavioral reform has no bearing on people's relationship with God. Mm. It has no means to deliver them out of the bondage of sin into the kingdom of Christ. Mm-hmm. The best that mo- mo- the best that morality can do, MacArthur says, 
the best that morality can do is turn people into another batch of condemned Pharisees. Mm. Morality can't save anyone from guilt or fuel genuine godliness. Pharisees and prostitutes share the same hell, Mm. unquote. Mm -hmm. MacArthur goes on to say in the same book, he goes on to say this, quote, neither social change nor moralism were ever the message of the Old Testament prophets. They were never the message of the Messiah or the New Testament writers. Such has never been God's message to the world at all. In fact, Isaiah tells us that, quote, all our righteous deeds are like a filthy garment. Isaiah 64, 6. Man's morality, okay, MacArthur closes with this, man's morality at its apex is nothing more than foul, defiled rags. Unquote. Wow. Wow. Conversely, uh, John Frame, the theologian John Frame, in his systematic theology, writes this quote As a dead man cannot get up and walk around, so a morally dead person cannot do works pleasing to God. Mm-hmm. The sinful nature is not something we acquire during our lifetime, it is ours from birth, even from conception. Mm-hmm. So we cannot prevent it any more than we can do away with it in our own strength, unquote. Mm. You know, the person who would confuse behavioral moralism with spiritual regeneration is facing a theological conundrum because the truth is, okay, when you really think about it, the truth is if if that's, if that's what people like Barbara want to argue with his moral movement, Mm -hmm. if he really wants to go that route with respect to, uh, uh, pushing behavioral moralism and confusing that with spiritual regeneration. The conundrum he has to consider is this. You So, you know, the Quran also is full of moral precepts as well. Mm-hmm. The Quran is full of them, mm-hmm. as are the Vedas in Hinduism mm-hmm. and the Tripitaka or the three baskets in Buddhism. Mm-hmm. So is the Book of Mormon in Mormonism and the Zend Avesta in Zoroastrianism. So with that being the case, I would ask Reverend Barber, why should society accept the Bible as the sole authority upon which his moral movement should be constructed? Right. right, After all, if the solution to the ills of society is merely that human beings need to be better or more moral toward one another, why bother subscribing to the Bible's construct of morality and justice? Why not just subscribe to one of the many other religious pathways that I just mentioned as being equally valid and efficacious? I'll tell you why, because none of those other pathways are rooted in the truth Mm -hmm. and nothing that is grounded in falsehood can ever be accepted as authoritative. Only truth, only objective truth is authoritative and truth is found only in the word of God. This is Jesus prayed in John 17, 17, Mm -hmm. sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. Amen. What you got? Amen. Man, I, I love where you went there because every aspect of what you said uh, is so true. The the appeal to moralistic therapeutic deism is very, very real. The, the, the sad part about it, though, is when you're dealing with people like James Cone or when you're dealing with people like Reverend Barber, they totally I mean, theirs is the basis or standard by which they're even even examining these things is so flawed and fractured. Right. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm afraid these men have completely ignored 
the God of the Bible. And as we said earlier, they've replaced replaced him with a God of their own making that doesn't exist. So the morality by which they appeal looks nothing like the morality found in the scriptures, mm -hmm. right? That, 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 that it calls based the, the moral code that we find in scripture is solely based upon a heart that has been regenerated. Exactly. Exactly <laughs> right. Mean, it starts from something internal to begin with. And, and, and the only way that happens is by by the fact that the gospel has been proclaimed. Bar Barber's message has no gospel. Bingo. Right. The morality zero. of the, it has zero, zero, uh, zero gospel. The, the, the morality of Barber doesn't in, definitely doesn't include the sanctity of human life, the honoring of marriage between one man and one woman. And again, the call for the centrality of the gospel of Jesus Christ for salvation. And at the end of the day, that's really what it boils down to. I mean, we li listened to 30 minutes of his rant that mm -hmm. had nothing to do with any 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 of the transformative power found in the message of the gospel whatsoever. Yep. I agree. And you, you explained that very accurately from the standpoint of the video. Mm -hmm. um, no gospel anywhere. Mm -mm. 30, 30 minutes of ranting, no gospel. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, Reverend Barber in that video, in the quote that I read earlier, he tacitly admitted that the Bible supports socialism. Mm -hmm. I read it from, I quoted him verbatim from his own mouth. But in, in, in him admitting that the Bible supports socialism, I fail to understand how the eternal word of God can be said to be supportive of a worldly philosophy that has existed only since the late 18th century. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm failing to juxtapose that's that. Good. That's good. You know, that's a great point. It, it should go without saying that as believers in Jesus Christ, who is the only true God, each of us as believers should do what we can with the resources that God blesses us with and the opportunities that he provides us, we should do what we can to help those who are legitimately in need. Amen. Okay. Mm -hmm. But even so there is a biblical precept involved in carrying out that mandate. And that precept is found in Galatians chapter six, verse 10, where mm -hmm. the apostle Paul writes this, Paul says, so then while we have opportunity, let us do good to all people. Yeah. And especially those who are of the household of the faith. Mm -hmm. That's Galatians 6.10. So as the body of Christ seeks to meet pressing needs in society, the biblical precept is that we do so from the inside out. That is, we meet needs within the church first, then those in the world. Okay, not the other way around. All right. Paul makes mm -hmm. that clear. As such, the resources for meeting those needs should come from within the church itself, not from the government. Mm -hmm. We are Christians. We are not statists. Mm. We are Christians. We are not statists. As John the Baptist declares in John 3, 27, John chapter 3, verse 27, John the Baptist says, a man can receive nothing unless it has been given him from heaven. John did not say that a man can receive nothing unless it has been given him by the state. That's not <laughs> what he said. Social mm -hmm. justices like Reverend Barber are propagating the myth that it is entirely possible to eliminate poverty completely from society. Mm -hmm. But as Jesus said in Matthew 26, verse 11, the poor you will always have with you. That's good. Jesus himself said that. And let me exegete that text for a second. The word poor, 
in Matthew chapter 26, verse 11, where Jesus says, the poor you will always have with you. The word poor in that text is the Greek noun tokos. It's spelled P-T-O-C-H-O-S, tokos, which denotes those who are destitute of wealth, influence, position, power, those who are afflicted and helpless, okay? So when Jesus says the poor you will always have with you, he's saying you're going to always have those who are destitute of wealth, who are destitute of influence, who are destitute of power. You're always going to have people who are afflicted and helpless. You're always going to have that. Matter of fact, the word, the word always in that verse, in Matthew 26, 11, the word always is the Greek adverb pantote, pantote, which is spelled P-A-N-T-O-T-E, pantote, which means at all times. Mm-hmm. Okay? So if you want to alliterate that verse, the poor, the destitute, you will at all times have with you. Mm. That's Matthew 26, 11. Right. So there will never be a time. There will never be a time in this present world and society where there will never be those who are poor or mm-hmm. oppressed. Never. Yeah. What you got, Omaha? I, I, I agree, man. You, one, of the, one of the things I loved about what you said earlier is when you said we are Christians, we are not status. I mean, that's that's what that's what men like Cone were advocating. That's what men like Barber are advocating. And and it's you know we're not status. We're Christians. Um, it, one of the things that's interesting is Barber is trying to pretend to be an advocate for the poor when actually they're really serve, men like him serve the God of self. They they want power through government to be in the hands of a few at the cost. Of the masses, and and to the point that you made earlier, this is why men like Barber are absolutely dangerous because they 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 wrap kind of a rhetorical rhyme and and and, and timing into something that that unfortunately so many black masses have a tendency to gravitate toward. They're not saying anything, right. but, but but they're not. I mean, I'm listening to Cone the last past week. He's not saying anything. I mean, for all of the education and knowledge, and uh, he, he's not saying anything worth holding on to. Anything, everything that he's talking about is 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 temp is a it's a temporal utopia that will never exist. And and, and the hope that they have is can uh, that can only be found in Christ is absolutely ignored and exchanged for a lie. Mm-hmm. I mean that that right. that's that's where we're, basically my thought is these are these are blind guides leading the blind mm-hmm. into into mm-hmm. a ditch. You know, to my point earlier, my statement earlier that we are Christians and we are not status. Mm-hmm. Let me back that up with scripture, okay? Because first mm-hmm. in First Peter two, First Peter two eleven, Peter says, "Beloved, I urge you as aliens and strangers." Now. I could say I could understand anyone arguing that well, Christians should be status if this world were our home, <laughs> right? But it's not. Mm-mm. It's not. You are an alien and a stranger in this world. If you're a believer in Christ, you are an alien and a stranger mm-hmm. right now. Mm-hmm. You have been since the moment of your conversion. Mm. Since the very millisecond you came to face in Christ, from the very moment God himself brought you 
to faith in Christ because in first Corinthians one thirty, it says by his doing, you are in Christ Jesus mm-hmm, mm-hmm. by God's doing nothing. You did by his doing. God brought you to faith in Christ from that very moment. You became an alien and a stranger in this world. So how can, a, how can Christians be status if this isn't even our home to begin with? Right. So, you know, whatever, what, what, what evangelical social justicians like Reverend Barber, what people like him fail to understand is that Jesus was not a community organizer. Okay. <laughs> Jesus was not a community organizer. Right. As such, Christ's church is not to be viewed or regarded as a political action committee. Mm. Okay. Jesus was not a community community organizer. Consequently, his church should not be viewed as a political action committee. Jesus's earthly ministry was conducted in the midst of one of the most ruthless and oppressive regimes in human history, the Roman government under Caesar Augustus. Mm -hmm. But never once, never once during the three and a half years of Jesus's earthly ministry, did he command his followers to protest, demonstrate, or remonstrate against the perceived injustices of the Roman government. Mm -hmm. Not once did he do that. Jesus never did that. Yes, people did protest Mm -hmm. the Roman government, but Jesus never commanded his followers to do that. The gospel of Jesus Christ is a message, not a movement. Amen. The gospel of Jesus Christ is a message, not a movement. It is a proclamation not a political platform. Mm-hmm. Jesus declared in John eighteen thirty six that my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, then my servants would be fighting so that I would not be handed over to the Jews. Mm-hmm. But as it is, Jesus says, my kingdom is not of this realm. Mm. Now, the word fighting in that text, the word fighting in John eighteen thirty six is the Greek verb agonizomai, okay? A-G-O-N-I-Z-O-M-A-I, agonizomai, mm-hmm. which translated means to contend with adversaries in order to obtain something, okay? Mm-hmm. To contend with adversaries in order to obtain something. That's what the word fighting in John eighteen thirty six translates as, okay? Mm-hmm. So when Jesus says, my servants would be fighting, Now, nowhere in the New Testament is the church told to fight for anything or to organize poor people's marches Mm -hmm. or to align itself with any political entity or organization. Nowhere in the New Testament is the church told to do that. Jesus said his servants would fight if his kingdom were of this world, Mm -hmm. but it is not of this world. Why is that so hard for the church to understand? Why are people like Reverend Barber acting as if the kingdom of God is of this world when Jesus himself clearly said it is not? Mm -hmm. You know, in Romans chapter 8, verse 22, Paul said, For we know that the whole creation groans and suffers the pains of childbirth together until now. Mm-hmm. Well, what is Paul saying there? Paul is referring metaphorically to Genesis 3.16 and the consequences that fell not only upon Adam and Eve and their progeny, namely you and me, 
but creation itself because of sin. Sin is the mortal enemy of society. Mm-hmm. Sin is. Sin mm-hmm. is the mortal enemy of society, not poverty, yeah. not poverty, not homelessness, not injustice. All those things are merely manifestations. They're mm-hmm. fruits of the kind of groaning and suffering that Paul is talking about in Romans 8. And as we have clearly established in this episode, Scripture is unambiguous that the groaning and suffering will never cease to be a reality in this world until Christ returns to make all things new. Amen. You know, God's word says in Deuteronomy chapter 15, verse 11, for the poor will never cease to be in the land. Mm-hmm. Therefore, therefore, I command you saying, you shall freely open your hand to your brother, to your needy and poor in your land. That was mm-hmm. Deuteronomy 15, 11. Now, undoubtedly, Omaha, someone listening to this is going to hear the second half of that verse in Deuteronomy 15, 11, where it says, you shall freely open your hand to your brother, to your needy and poor in your land. Mm-hmm. Somebody's going to hear that part of the verse and say, see, see, Daryl, the Bible does teach social justice. <laughs> no, you're wrong, my friend. Mm-hmm. When you and I do, when you and I do as that text says, when we open our hand to our brother and to the needy and the poor in the land, the Bible calls that obedience, not social yeah. justice. It's good. That's good. So please just calm down and slow your socialist role. Mm-hmm. Okay. Thoughts yeah. Omaha. The other thing it doesn't call for is it doesn't call for us to give it to the government so that they can figure out who it is it needs to go to based upon their standards. Whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> okay. So I know by now the Hammond B3 probably had a chance to cool down. It's time to fire back up, plug it back in. Let it warm up. Plug it isn't back that, in. Isn't that crazy? Do the mascot. Plug the Hammond back in. Let's go. <laughs> say that again, Omaha. I mean, the other thing that it does not say is it does not say that we're to give to the government so that the government can determine who the needy are. It, 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 all of this points back to mm-hmm. change of a human heart. Uh, an understanding of how freely you've been given the grace of God and how freely you then in turn give the grace of God to others, not, not out of compulsion and definitely not to a government entity for redistribution of wealth mm-hmm. in any shape or form. I mean, that's, that's absolutely crazy. I, I love what you said earlier when, when you said that uh, the gospel is, is a message, not a movement. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think those kinds of things are important for people to pause ponder to think about. Um, because again, as I mentioned earlier, what we what we're witnessing is 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 a different gospel yep. uh, that they've that they've decided to craft into into a movement. Uh, and when you change the message of the gospel in order to make it your own movement, you're seeking a savior that cannot save. I, I, I want to say that again. When you when you change the message of the gospel in order to make it your own movement. You're seeking a savior that cannot save. And that's 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 ultimately what's what's so damning about the message of Cone. That's what's ultimately so damning about the message of of of, of you know of, of our of our Reverend uh, uh, Barber. It none none of what they're sharing it, it, that they believe to be salvific actually has the power to save anybody. Exactly. It's a soteriological house of cards. It Absolutely. just crashes in. It collapses in on itself. 
absolutely collapses on itself. And and, and again, he, he's revved people up. He's riled people up. He's got all these people marching and getting ready to go to jail and to prison. And and for what? Because they're upset that they that someone else isn't giving their money to the government so that the government can 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 what? I don't even know. This is yeah. so it's it's so it's so messed up on so many different levels. You know, uh, to the consternation and frustration of many who may be listening to this episode, because I'm sure I'm sure. Listen, as, as many of our listeners who encourage us and support us on a regular basis, I know we have our haters out there. I'm not naive to that. Right. right. Not at all. So it's to them that I say this, because I know there are going to be some listening to this episode who are probably squirming in their seats. I'm going to say this again, though. I'm going to assert yet again that Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners, not Mm. society. Christ came to save sinners, not society. To save us from our sin is why Jesus was given the name Jesus to begin with. We we, we know this from Matthew chapter 1, verse 21. Mm. She, that is Mary, will bear a son, Mm. capital S. She, Mary, will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus for purpose clause here. That's that one preposition is a one word purpose clause. He's named Jesus for he will save his people, not from society, but from their sin. Go read Matthew 121. It's in your Bible. That's why he has the name Jesus to begin with. The primary role of the church is to proclaim to lost sinners the exact same message Jesus proclaimed in the very first sermon he gave after spending 40 days and nights in the wilderness. Mm-hmm. That sermon was repent and believe in the gospel. That's Mark chapter 1, verse 15. Repent mm-hmm. and believe in the gospel. That is the core mission and purpose of the church in the world today. Listen to what D. Martin Lloyd-Jones wrote. This is in his book, Great Doctrines of the Bible. Lloyd-Jones says, quote, they say that we that what we call sin is merely the absence of certain qualities. You must not say a man is positively bad. What you mean is that he is not good. Sin is negative. But the Bible says that sin is positive. It is not the absence of goodness. It is the positive presence of evil and badness and of badness. Mm-hmm. And that is something which we must emphasize because from the very beginning, it is emphasized constantly in the scriptures themselves, That's unquote. Mm-hmm. So Lord Jones is saying, no, we need to constantly emphasize the reality of sin because sin is emphasized constantly in the scriptures themselves. Listen, if you're looking to Jesus as some kind of socialist savior, you need to reassess both your theology and your Christology because that's not the Jesus of the Bible. That's good. What society needs is salvation from sin. That is why Jesus came into the world to set free those who are captive to sin. That's Luke 4 18. Mm-hmm. Salvation from our sin is the salvation the scriptures declares to the world. Not the moralistic therapeutic deism being propagated by evangelical social justicians like Reverend William Barber. Mm-hmm. As I read earlier in 2 Peter 3.13, Christ has promised a new heaven and a new earth in which his righteousness will dwell forever. Amen. This righteousness is not 
the man-centered, politically manufactured righteousness of Reverend Barber. It is a righteousness that flows from the innately pure and indefectible character of God himself. In Revelation 22, verse 11, Revelation 22, verse 11, Christ says, let the one who does wrong still do wrong, and the one who is filthy still be filthy. That's Revelation 22, 11. In other words, apart from Christ returning to earth to make all things new, the ills and injustices of society that people like Reverend Barber are convinced can be remedied by organizing protests, marches, and through legislation will continue to be a reality here. Wow. That's not going to change. Wow. wow that's that's in Revelation. That's in the last book of the Bible. Yeah. Yeah. So up until Christ returns. Yeah. Christ says, let the one who does wrong still do wrong. And the one who is filthy still be filthy. The only hope for the church and the world is Jesus Christ and him crucified. Yeah. Why is the church acting as if politics is the answer to the problems of the world? Mm. The problem of the world is sin, not who is president or prime minister or king. That's <laughs> so good, yeah. When will the church get it through its collective thick skull that saviors aren't elected? Yeah. The help that the world so desperately needs comes from Calvary, not from Capitol Hill. Come on, man. Cue up, cue it up, cue it up. That's good. <laughs> Saviors. You got to say that again. That listen, was so good. When, so when good. I, I, I long for the day when the church will get it through its thick skull. That saviors are not elected. The help that the world so desperately needs today will come from Calvary, not from Capitol Hill. The only hope for mankind is Jesus Christ. When injustice occurs, and it will continue to occur in this sinful world in which we live, when injustice occurs, we must look to Christ, the righteous one who sovereignly rules and reigns over all of his creation, not to some elected official or political party that has no power whatsoever over the attitudes of the human heart. Mm -hmm. God's word says in Ecclesiastes 5, 8, if you see oppression of the poor, and denial of justice and righteousness in the province, do not be shocked at the sight. Mm. For one official watches over another official, and there are higher officials over them. Mm. That's Ecclesiastes 5.8. Now, the reality of Ecclesiastes 5.8 is exactly why God's word says in Psalm 118, verses 8 and 9, it is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in man. Yeah. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in princes. And again, in Psalm 146, verses three and four, do not trust in princes, in mortal man in whom there is no salvation. His spirit departs, he returns to the earth, and that very day his thoughts perish. Now, I just quoted Psalm 118, verses eight and nine, and Psalm 146, verses three and four. Mm-hmm. Jesus Christ, Reverend Barber, is not a socialist. He is a savior. Amen. Okay. Jesus Christ is not a socialist. He is a savior. The sooner the church realizes this, the better off it and our society will be. Now, Amen. 
Omaha, I want to close with this. I want to quote John MacArthur one more time from his book, Christ Call to the Church, sure. because this nails, this is this is both the hammer and the nail. Mm-hmm. And I hope this resonates with our listeners uh, who are tuning in to uh, listen to this episode of the Just Thinking Podcast. Mm-hmm. This is John MacArthur from Christ Call to Reform the Church, a book which I desperately am asking everyone to get a hold of. Christ Call to Reform the Church. Mm-hmm. MacArthur says this, quote, the presumption that a social movement or political clout could make a significant spiritual difference in the world is evidence of a severe misunderstanding of sin. Mm. Believers need to put our energies into ministry that can transform lives, not into laws. The work of God's kingdom is not about overhauling governments, rewriting regulations, or rebuilding society into some version of a Christian utopia. Political and social justice efforts are, at best, short-term external solutions for society's moral ills, and they do nothing to address the personal, internal, dominant matter of sinful hearts that hate God. See Mm. Romans 8, verse 7. And can be rescued from eternal death only by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Unquote. You got any closing thoughts, Omaha? Now, I, basically, what I want our listeners to to recognize is, man, for about the last twenty minutes, uh, at least, I'd say twenty five, thirty minutes. I mean, what what Daryl has walked through, and and what I've c- kind of taken pot shots of commentary at, really serves as a biblical apologetic for dealing with the the advocacy of of Barber for for social justice for systemic racism and i mean all the all the different isms that he's after that he believes that there's a cultural that, that there's a political solution for um what what daryl has laid out i mean very clearly very methodically very specifically one of the things that that uh I ran into our listener uh some folks who listen to the podcast they say hey uh, brother virgil make sure you let daryl know we appreciate the work that he puts into each and every episode, the work you put into each and every episode, because it really, it really lays out for us with specificity and scripture how to how to deal with what it's not just a, a, a you know we're angry at this or we're upset at this or oh here these social justicians go again, but it explains what they're talking about and then gives us a line by line understanding from a biblical perspective. I mean that's what we do on just thinking, and so I just want to encourage our listeners take time. Walk back through, grab grab a pen, walk back through the last 25, 30 minutes of this particular episode so that you have, I mean, bro, what you laid out in some of these, some of these texts, especially the, the text in Revelation, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, yep. it was just, it's, it's huge. You know, let no one who does, let, let the one who does wrong still do wrong and the one who is filthy still be filthy. I mean, that, that why because that's that's going to be there until the coming of christ right yep. because he mm-hmm. he's redeeming for himself a people and uh we're going to experience life as it is until he until he returns and that's our eschatological hope Bingo. it's not that, exactly right it's, it's not that we look to the future to be upset about something in our present day for us to do something about mm-hmm. it, it's it's that we have something that, to look forward to a future hope when there will be no more no more sin no more crying no more pain no more hurt no more oppression because we 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 have ex- we experience the, the the full magnitude the full benefit of of what salvation intended for us from the beginning so man i just loved where we went loved what we did and just want to encourage our listeners to tune in with us next time 
for another edition of the Just Thinking Podcast. Yes, it goes on and on, my friend. Some people started singing it, not knowing what it was. And they'll continue singing it forever just because this is the song that doesn't end. Yes, it goes on and on, my friend. That's enough, guys. Some people started singing it, not knowing what it was. And they'll continue singing it forever just because this is the song that doesn't end. How do I turn you off? Yes, it goes on. This is the song that... Charlie, horse! No, no, stop, stop, stop. Charlie, stop. I want you to go away. Go away. And don't slam the... Door. <laughs>